Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil, and find out. G'day everybody, it is the V8 Sleuth Podcast episode 92. It's a Godzilla, you're a pack of you-know-whats type of episode this week, and it's Q&A, so we've got plenty of Qs, we'll bring some As, I'll bring some As, my name is Aaron after all, so I've got a few As to bring. Will Dale has got an A in his surname, so therefore you can bring some As. Uh, welcome to the pod. Thank you. At least one. That's all you need. <laughs> an A gets you in the door uh, to do some A's to the queue. So we'll get into the question and answers uh, very soon. We've had a bunch of uh, questions in the last few weeks on socials. We've got a little bit behind, so we've had to catch up a bit because last week uh, the news that broke the internet about Triple Eight Race Engineering meant that we did a special, uh, well, you did a special episode with Stefan Bartholomew looking at all of the news that went on. So we sort of put our Q&A in the rack for another week, and we've brought it back out this week, so the questions have mounted quickly. Before we get into the questions too, a bit of news that broke before we recorded this podcast about the great man himself. He He's our first episode podcast guest, John Bauer, episode one back in 2019, wasn't it now? Yeah. Uh, time flies when wow. you're yeah. having podcast fun. Um some really crappy news. He's been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So we just thought we'd mention this off the bat. We wish him all the very best. As this episode goes to air, he was due to have had his first treatment at Peter Mac uh, Cancer Center. So um, it sounds like they've picked up this pretty early, mm. and it sounds like he's uh, still health-wise still going pretty well. So we send our, our best wishes to JB. He's one of the greats of Australian motorsport. Well, he was and, on the pace at Simmons Plains. Well, yeah. and, and Win number 100. Exactly right. He's 100th winning Touring Car Masters this year. Um, you know, we can go through all of the stuff that he's won over the years, but he is part of the furniture of Australian motorsport. Motorsport's the thing that keeps him going and keeps him busy and keeps him rolling along. So I think this is just a minor speed hump in the road, but it's a really good reminder. I know that there's piles of blokes who listen to our podcast. More, more, plenty of girls that listen to our podcast too, but mainly guys. It's a really timely reminder to go see your GP, go and get a test. You don't have to be afraid of it. Uh, these days they do this stuff with blood tests that they can monitor readings and they know what's going on and whether you need to get onto it. It's the sort of thing that you just, the sooner you can get onto it, and this is the best one to have if you're going to have to have it because mm. if you get in early and you get onto it, you can definitely do something about it. So we wish John Bauer all the very best. Hopefully we can catch up with him very soon on the Sleuth Pod. And, uh, well, I mean, it's nearly 100 episodes ago, so he's probably due for another chat <laughs> Bring at him back some for stage. 101. And he's got about 500 <laughs> years of racing to talk about, and we probably only covered part of it in in Ep 1. So best wishes to the great John Bauer as we start this episode, Ep 92. Um Ryan Campbell has the first question. This is nice and timely considering the news last week from Triple Eight. Ryan says, do you guys feel that Triple Eight will replace Jamie Winkup with a current supercars driver or that they'll promote a young gun from Super 2 or perhaps bring in someone from somewhere else? If you were the boss of the team, what would you prefer, experience or youth? Uh, I'm sticking with what I said in last week's podcast. What I would like to see is Garth Tander at the wheel of the 88 for next year. One year. Farewell, after we design goodbye. He's still a very good racer, still quick, still on the pace. He can win races in that car, and he's plug and play. Like, you drop him into that car, it's a championship contender. It's still a contender for race wins. 
I think that's a solid choice while they get their ducks in a row looking for the next the next generation of triple eight driver. I think they can already see the next triple eight driver, young gun. I think he's there's a okay, there's a point to this. He's driving car triple eight this year. Yeah, that's very leading, isn't it? Uh, well, you can read too much into these things sometimes, but I I feel right now. See, this is the thing. Things can change tremendously over the time. Mm. Someone who you don't think is available right now becomes available in three months' time because something happens. So who would have thought David Reynolds would have left Erebus? Mm. Who would have thought Will Davison was ever going to leave 23 Red or that a sponsor would pull out or a global pandemic would change <laughs> world motorsport and the world as we know it? At the start of 2005, who would have thought Jamie Wincup would have been in the second Triple Eight car at the start of the following year? Very good point, Will Dale. Absolutely agree with you. So for mine, I reckon it's time Triple Eight goes young and I reckon Brock Feeney's tabbed. This is my personal opinion. I don't have any insider goss. I'm just looking from the outside. It makes sense, though. The kid... One Super 3, he's in a Super 2 with the best team that you could just about be in to be in it. They've given him number triple eight. That's a big sign. You don't just mm. hand – they've not given that out to any – they didn't give it to Casey Stoner. They didn't oh. give it to – I've got to actually cover that off. Remember, though, there was a time where the numbering element was one set of numbers across both main game and Super 2. Mm. That changed some years ago where they have separate number pools. So you couldn't have had triple eight in the development series even if – Roland let you or you wanted to because you, you could it could only be on Craig's car in the, in the main championship. It has made a brief appearance in Super 2, just not with Triple Eight. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mark Noski, yes. Malawa, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, only practised the prancing horse car and didn't didn't get to race it. But I think it makes sense to look at Feeney. The, oh, sign, totally. the signs are all there. Super 3 champion, uh, nice debut job co-driving with James Courtney last year at Bathurst in the boost uh, Tickford Mustang. He's in Super 2 with Triple Eight. They've got an opening, which is always helpful. Um, I reckon if I reckon he's in the frame already, if he has a stellar year in Super 2, wins races, shows speed, shows progression, I reckon they're in a place where they can put a young gun in. The pressure's not there as much. Yes, there'll be expectations from sponsors to be running at the front. Teams championship's important. But this is about the next three to five years for Triple Eight, not the next one or two. And and who's the next wink up? Who's the next mm. young star? There's some good ones out there, and he's one of them. So get him in and get him locked away. I reckon that's what I'd be doing if I was them. Or at least I'd be looking to do that unless something came up on the radar that you just couldn't refuse and you had to pounce on and you end up putting the, the other kid on ice and finding something else for him to do somewhere along the line. That does sound an awful lot like would fit the description of Roland Dane saying, I do have a plan, but plans can change. That's exactly what yes. I thought when I heard him <laughs> say that. So, uh, Ryan, it's one of the big questions, isn't it, for the whole supercar season of 2021 of who replaces uh, Jamie Winkup? Look, no one can really replace him. They can just drive the, in the seat that he used to drive in because he's uh, a totally unique character to the sport. A little bit of a connected one here. Nathan Bellato's question, uh, Will, he says that Roland said that drivers are contacting him whilst contracted, saying that their contracts mean nothing. We're seeing in sports like NRL where players are walking halfway through, uh, through contract terms, I think mm. he means. And this is prompting the governing bodies to change the rules. Should supercars be considering something before it starts to be common? And same case for teams showing drivers the door the other way. We had a lot of team hopping in this off-season. I can't see that you can do anything about this. No. like You see what Formula One has with the contract recognition board or whatever it's called that they've had for quite a long time now to 
to deal with things like this, but it doesn't come up in supercars that often. I mean, it it's a lot of it has hit in the last 12 months with, as we just mentioned, David Reynolds, uh, Will Davison, where unusual circumstances have, have conspired to leave drivers without out of seats or encourage drivers to leave their seats. Um, I don't think it's, to be honest, the football codes are a different beast because players are essentially interchangeable. They're a, one in a team of 13, 15. How, how many are on an AFL field? You, 18? You've, have you, no. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you said 18 there at the end and not stuck with your 13 because thirteen's would have been doing a lot of running if you were running the AFL teams. Yes. Uh, but obviously list sizes. There's more yeah. than just the players that are on a field. So that's been culled in the AFL because of COVID. But... I think it was at 42, 44 now. I think it's coming back to 38 or somewhere in that sort of vicinity. So the difference is, though, why supercars is different to other sports. There is no collective union or entity for the drivers. Mm. So in um, AFL, for example, there's the AFL Players Association that looks after the best interests of the players and, and as a, a joint a combined entity negotiates conditions for the players and, and those type of things. Supercars doesn't have that. It, it'll never have that because the teams, sorry, the, the drivers won't got, get together. There's been some chat in the past about forming a drivers association and, and things like that, but it's been squashed pretty quickly by the powers that be and and the teams that are like. So I can't see any rules being put in place here to to stop this. It's a bit of a free and open market. If someone signed a contract and then they don't want to be there, but the other body party doesn't want them to be there, I think that's just kind of the the way it the way it all turns out. But it, you see it in football too. Players signed to a club for three years after two, he gets tra- Adam Trelaw in the off-season goes from uh, Collingwood to the Western Bulldogs, but Collingwood will still pay some mm. of his salary towards the deal uh, and his contract effectively gets traded and he goes with it rather than he gets traded, yeah. and, even though that's kind of what happens. So, uh, Nathan, I can't see that happening. And don't forget too that there are lots of contracts, if they've been well done, that have our clauses. If in the certain situation that a team, you know, drivers have had clauses in the past. If a team's not at a certain position in the championship after a certain period of time, that can crack open their freedom to talk to other teams. Whereas if they did meet that criteria and they were in, say, the top three after round six, then they, they're locked. They can't go and talk to anyone. And they probably don't want to go anywhere then because their team's going well. So exactly. it's a it's a pretty involved sort of a topic. It's an interesting one, but... I can't see anything formal uh, mm. occurring in the future. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Next question from Ryan Scott. Is there a championship year where the driver has lost a championship after leading coming into the last round? Now, we pondered this in the office recently, and I said, yeah, sure, truckloads. And then I thought, maybe the truck's pretty small. It's not it is a, a small it's not truck. A, it's not a big load or a big truck. No. Um, no. How many? Four. Four. Really? Four out of, what, the 50? Odd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a few of those, there were just one race in the championship. True, so true. Technically. So you can um, take out the first eight years of the championship or nine years because they were one-off races that determined mm. the champion. They weren't a series of races. So that- Still four out of 50-ish. That's pretty good. Yeah. So the first time this happened was 1978. It was Bob Morris and Peter Brock 
heading into the final round and Morris was leading. At Adelaide International Raceway. Yep. And it was Brock that came away with a trophy. Ironically enough, it reversed the following year. I was going to say, it was the following year that was the other way around. Yeah. 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 Uh, 1983. And this is a curious case because Uh, Alan Moffat won the championship this year in his Peter Stuyvesant Manstar X7. Were we allowed to say Peter Stuyvesant? We just did twice. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But he wasn't leading the championship coming into the final round. That was George Fury. Small problem, though. Hmm. George Fury didn't turn up for the last round, and that's no. why he didn't win. No, well, he never had a chance te- to win. The team didn't turn up. So well, even if George turned up, he would have had no car. No car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very strange scenario. I don't know what was going on there with Howard Marsden and, and Nissan and the like, but it's one thing to go and focus your energies on the endurance races, but to walk away from potentially winning an Australian championship, which you could have crowed about in the press and in advertising for a long time, doesn't make much sense to me. It would have been an unusual situation because that car was a class car. So in the same way that Jim Richards won the 87 title um, by gaining class points as well as outright points, um, a similar situation is what landed Fury ahead on points coming into the final round of 1983 because he could finish second to Alan Moffat and earn slightly more points. Yeah, it's a weird It was a strange scenario. point system. Yeah, yeah, they... You could do better in a bigger car mm. than a smaller car, but and that it was, was outscoring you without passing yes. you on the track. And that was before people fully understood just how much of a difference turbocharging made. Yeah, yeah, that uh, <laughs> the the turbocharged capacity multiplication factor back in the day probably wasn't enough on it. No, uh, just quite, okay. So that's 80, 78, 83. 87's is the next one. Which I just mentioned before. So, so Seton was in front of Richards by a couple of points going into Oran Park. Correct. Okay. And then the last. We know one, what happened there. Too. We do know what happened there. And if you don't buy the book. Mm. Oh, Glenn Seton, the yes. official racing history. I nearly forgot. That's yeah. bad when I do the plugs <laughs> and I forget to do the plugs. Uh, really thrilled with the Glenn Seton book. If you don't have a copy, grab yourself a copy. Um, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. We've got a bunch of books coming out this year. Uh, our Adelaide 500 book is coming together really, really well. Uh, we've got our Perkins Engineering Car History book coming later in the year, our Triple Eight Car History book that will be released starting next year, and we're kicking around a few other projects as well. So we're always cooking up something here. But uh, jump on our online store, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. There's plenty of stuff to keep you uh, – well, keep your bookshelf full. Yes. You know, bookshelves need books in them. And really we're here do. to make the you, – you get the house with the bookshelf, we'll make the book to put in it. Uh, so 87, Seton Richards. Yep. Is 07 the last one? Correct. So Winkup led into the last race, didn't he? Or the last uh, round? Last, Definitely the last round and mm. definitely led after the first race of that round. So he led into the final day of the championship, Well, I think. Definitely led into the Philip Island round. Tander got rolled now. I think he won the first two races. Mm. And the last race, Winkup finished second. But if he'd passed Todd Kelly, the leader, to win the race and Garth was back in fourth, Mm. that would have given him the championship win. So two points he was short in the end there. So can you imagine history? If Winkup had got that one done, Mm. that's eight. Yep. He could be going for nine this year. Could say a lot about. Could say the same about all these attempts at Bathurst in the last he, ten years he as well. Got one twenty-eight of them, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, he gave up a few, but he did still win four of them, which a lot of people forget. Uh, T Bone Mark, I'm hungry. 
just thinking about that, actually. Just We've got to stop recording these in the afternoon. Yeah, I know. It's getting too close to food time. Yeah. Uh, Mark's question, or T-Bone's question, I should say, uh, is about tyres. Were control tyres originally brought in as a cost-saving measure? There's a lot of talk about Gen 3 and what the regs will be brought in to improve the sport. My question is, do you think a move away from control tyres would be a way to improve the sport? Each tyre provider would have strengths and weaknesses at different tracks and in different weather conditions. The problem is the whole strengths and weaknesses at different tracks, it's never going to be equal over the course of a season. You'll have no. weekends where a lot, where at least one group of the top drivers are just not in it, which is something that it's easy to forget used to be a pretty regular thing 20, it'd, 20 years ago. It'd be like one of the rounds last year, the City Motorsport part round with that whole mixed tyre weekend where yeah. if you'd spent your pennies, you were going into a race that you had no chance of winning. Mm. And I think we've got short memories on this. I reckon control tyres, the best thing that ever supercars have done mm. from a technical platform point of view, uh, initially not as a cost-saving measure, more a case of evening the playing field for the, the have-nots who couldn't get them. For, for love nor money, um, not everyone could go and buy a Bridgestone or the Bridgestone like Peter Brock had or Glenn Seaton had. or a, The development tyres. Yeah, yeah, the tyres that, the that went to the, the gun teams that were sponsored and did all the testing and, and that type of thing. The best thing that the sport has ever done. And, yes, it's probably... What it costs some teams in terms of the money with those individual tie companies. You look at it now. Every, name me a championship or a category around the world that doesn't have a controlled tie provider. Yep. There's yeah. no open tie competition going on because a tie brand wants to guarantee business. It wants to guarantee exposure, and that's the way to do it. Control mm. tie. So um, there's a reason why Dunlop have been the control tie since what 2002. Yeah. Of supercars because. Um, the benefits are, are pretty solid, and when you're not competing against anybody, you can focus in on the marketing elements, and and you don't have to throw stupid, crazy. I mean, the global economy at the moment of motor racing, or even just the Australian economy, couldn't afford tire development. Well, the sheer volume no of testing teams oh, and drives used to do back in the day charts. was incredible. It was like, ridiculous. Teams are limited to what, th- just a handful of test days. Yeah, now. yeah. And they'd do scores and scores of them. Yeah. They'd, they'd virtually may as well sleep in the race car in the garage overnight because they were there so much. Just book Malalai out for a week, book yeah. Calder out for a week, book yeah. Phillip Island out for yep. a week. Yep, go to Eastern Korea. Oh, man, they spend so much money. Yeah. Uh, and that was the tie brands doing that. There's, there's just no way that would happen. And I know that there's some people who say, oh, yeah, but it would mix it up and it would be great. No, no, no. Rewind, have a look at those 1993 to 1997, 80-ish mm. touring car some rounds were, you know, Lakeside, if you're on Bridgestone, Forget nowhere. Yeah. Um, if you weren't on a Dunlop, you weren't going to win at Albert Park. Um, <laughs> or your name wasn't Russell Ingle. He mm. won most of those. But On Dunlops. Yeah. I, I, yeah. No, I, I, I would not like to ever see us go away from a, a controlled tyre. I think it's the last thing we should be thinking about changing. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Next question, Matthew Davis. Love the podcast. That is a great way to get Good your question start. asked. Yeah, yeah, nice. With Baskerville hosting the non-championship round of TCR, I was wondering, could it hold a supercars event in the future? Nah, too small. Yeah, it's a bit too much Not of a stretch. Not up to spec, yeah. Um, 
it's a romantic notion, isn't it? But no, I, I don't see it. It, it, it can't. It, it wouldn't, mm. it, and it can't, and it won't. Uh, could it host a championship round of TCR, a Trans Am, that sort of stuff? I think it originally was scheduled to be a championship round for mm. TCR. So oh, I think that's more sense. than plausible, yeah. Yeah, back-to-back Tassie. No pit stops required Perfect TCR. So. Yeah, perfect, perfect. I like it. Uh, Michael Burson. Ooh, this is this is tasty. Hmm. Which full-time driver has raced the most chassis in Australian touring car history? Jeez, he likes to leave it a very narrow question, doesn't he, Michael? <laughs> yes. uh, odd question. If anyone can find it out, it's you guys. Apologies if you've already been asked this one. I've excluded co-drivers to make it somewhat clearer. Well, Michael, we didn't exclude them because it doesn't make it any clearer for us. So no. the best way we've quantified this by looking at the chassis from V8 supercars, five-litre touring cars, 1993 onwards. Is yep. that what we've looked That's at? That's what we've looked at. Um, and the winner, I don't think he wins an award for this, but no, we no. might present him with a certificate one day. Yeah, Stephen Richards. Yeah. It makes sense though, doesn't it? Bounced around a lot of different teams and has had that longevity, a long time co-driving as well yep. um, with quite a few different teams and usually different car each year, or yep. different chassis each year, I should say. Um, yeah, makes total sense he'd be at top of, at the top of the pile. 30. 30. 30 different chassis Richo's driven yeah. across that um, V8 touring car slash supercars period, which is... Yeah, it makes sense, though, when you think about it. He's been around a long time. As you said, the enduro stuff. Is it Larry Perkins for a fair whack of time? Drove quite a few of those cars. Uh, FPR, yeah. drove quite a few there. Gibson's, Gibson's Stone Brothers. Seaton's, Stone Brothers. Yeah, this big list. Big yeah. list. Probably quicker to do the ones that he hasn't driven, let alone <laughs> what he yes. has driven. Uh, 30 for him, we count. 29 for Lounsey. Which makes sense. does make sense. And... Jamie Wincup, his, his Bathurst co-driver, is getting a new car this year. Oh, he'll get to 30. He'll get to 30. Yeah, right. Good point. Good and when point. and to be fair, when in one season he drove five different ones in 1999, yeah. <laughs> that does advance your cause quite quickly. Yeah, that does help rack up the stats just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, Bright, 28. Cano, 26. Todd Kelly, 24. So clearly drivers with longevity who've been around a long time and driven for quite a few different teams and had uh, solid stints as co-drivers as well has also helped yes. build that number up just a little bit. Uh, we want to say too, uh, Jaden Ricketts has got the next question. It's about TCR and S5000. But a quick thank you to our V8 Sleuth listeners. In fact, everyone who not just listens to the podcast but follows us across our, our social platforms and our website as well, we were lucky enough this week to be awarded the Motorsport Australia Media Award for Best Use of Digital Media. Cue the fanfare. No? <laughs> Maybe not. That all we got. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, but no, How seriously. Is it out on that ledge. <laughs> yeah, no, no. no. I, I thought you had the uh, the sound the effects button there. No. Yeah, probably forgot. Fix we it should, in post. We should program that in. Yeah. Um, a huge thank you to everyone who follows us, listens to us, provides feedback on the podcast, reads our stories on our website. Uh, chuffed on that, and, and well done to you, fine sir. As head of digital, you have spearheaded a lot of this, so oh, it's you. all your fault. It's all your fault. <laughs> <laughs> But no, we, uh, look, whenever you've got the respect of your industry, I think that's the ultimate um, underline that you're going okay. So we, we certainly say thank you to those who, who voted on the Motorsport Australia Media Awards this year. Unfortunately, there wasn't a Media Awards night. But that Those Media Awards are part of um, the night where all the Australian series winners and champions receive their trophies. So um, we might have to have our own night, I guess, to be able to celebrate. <laughs> Tuxedo up and get on. <laughs> Get on the beers. Drive through at Macca's probably yeah. is a <laughs> bit more our spec, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, no, actually, 
No, nah, nah, got, nah. got to steer <laughs> off the burgers, steer off the burgers. Yeah. Uh, Jaden Ricketts, as I mentioned, next question. Are you guys going to collect data on TCR and S5000 as they are new categories in the country and it'll be easy to track them now? He's absolutely right. It mm. is much easier to track mm. a category from the very start than go back and try and figure it out yes, 20 years later. Much easier. Uh, short answer, Jaden. Yes, we've been keeping the results of all and also some chassis data as well of all. So um, keeping an eye on what's going where with, uh, with all those cars. Next question from Jared Laws. Craig, I like this one. I like number questions. Craig Lowndes ran the double O for a few years, and I was just wondering if the number zero on its own is eligible to be used, and if so, has it ever been used? And he has a follow-up question asking, also, are there any numbers between zero and 99 that haven't been used over the years? Um, what do you reckon? Is zero banned? Uh, are you allowed to? You are not. Can you I- run double zero? It doesn't specifically say in the Supercars Ops manual that you can't run double zero, but it does specifically say the number zero is banned. Okay. Well, that's one answer for Jared. That's, answer, that's, yes. that's good. Um, any numbers between zero and 99 that haven't been used? I think we talked about this last year somewhere along the line. I don't think... I think all those numbers have been used in some way, shape, or form. Correct. Well, we established that zero on its own hasn't been used, but double zero apparently falls in between zero and 99. All those other numbers have indeed been used. The smallest number not to be used in a championship race is 102. So we need to get someone this year, just for shits and giggles, to (laughs) run 102 so we can move that marker up a little bit. But the problem is... The next number in the line that hasn't been used is 103. So we're going to have to get someone else to run 103. No, we just find the one driver who's about to start their 102nd <laughs> championship race and then and we change the number. number every round. Yeah. <laughs> Done. Yes. I love it. Write this down. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do that. I love that. That's very good. Very good. I didn't think you were as evil as that, but you are. I love it. Uh, Zach Dowdle. Oh, this is good. And it's a yes. I haven't oh, yeah. read the question. It's a yes. Any plans on doing a Jason Richards tribute podcast in December as it's 10 years since his untimely passing? Yes, 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 yeah. yes, and yes. yes. We, we have talked about it. And usually when we get a guest that has some kind of link with Jason Richards, we ask them for, for a memory of JR. Yep. And, yeah, we absolutely would would be we planning will on doing this. Pen, pencil it in, put it, yeah. put some pen over the top of it, highlighter it, underline it, bold it. We will do a JR tribute this year. And I think the way we'll do that is we'll get some chats from a bunch of different people and cut them all together. And I know yeah. it makes it a bit more of an editing job for you, but I think that's... Oh, it's worth it for the stories. Yeah, it's worth it for JR. Yeah. Worth it for JR, for sure. Um, we'll probably get a lot of the same stories, though. People saying that he was late to everything and... <laughs> Um, probably Love some stories. I want to try to get a few stories that no one's told before as well, because I know there's a few lurking <laughs> that they have felt that they can't tell, but I think it's time to tell some of those yeah. ones too. So, anyway. uh, next question from Rob Kingston. I like this question. It's a chassis. We've, question. we've had a lot of good questions. We <laughs> like today. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's a chassis, it's a chassis number well, question, but it's uh, a different kind of chassis I'm number question. I'm bound to like it then. Yeah, a simple question for some, but a new but a newcomer to chassis codes. So. For, for Long-time listener, first-time chassis coder. Correct. When a team manufactures different models, does the serial number start over? For example, 888 having 001, for example, for a V Commodore and then 001 for a VF Car of the Future or 001 for the then ZB? Or do they just rebirth an older model in new panels? Good question, Rob. Um, First thing I'll say to this is that... You've used Triple Eight as an example, so it's obviously it's a really good example. 
Triple Eight Car Chassis History Book we're going to be working on through the course of this year to have right up to the end of Commodore. Uh, obviously, they've got all their Falcons having been built and done uh, in the time prior to that. So we're going to put together a Triple Eight Official Car History Book that will be out at the start of next year. Um, obviously, a bit of an end of an era this year with Commodore finishing and Camaro coming along next year. So it, it'll all be covered in there, but in very simple terms, different teams do it different ways. Mm. But in terms of Triple Eight, the numbers keep ticking. Um, regardless of what model it is. So when they went from BF Falcons to FG Falcons to VE Commodores to VE2 to VF, the number stayed ticking up along the way. So And that includes customer cars as well. And that's right. It does teams. too. It does too. So there's no separate run of numbers for the customer cars versus the 888 specific. They're all um, – their chassis prefix is 888A, mm. A being for Australia, for 888 Australia. Don't forget that there was – Triple Eight in the UK for many years running the British Touring Car Championship program that was uh, a Vauxhall factory team for many, many years from Super Touring era into the the eras that followed when the rules changed for for BTCC. So, yeah, Triple Eight, most teams, I'm trying to do the mental arithmetic, most teams keep the numbers ticking. They don't restart with a new model the way no. that their designations go. They just keep the numbers ticking. So More often than not, the, if the number style does change is because there's been a change in the team. For in, for example, Dick Johnson Racing becoming DJR Team Penske a few years ago, they started with, they went from DJR chassis numbers mm-hmm. to DJR TP. Correct. And I think of uh, when the Holden Racing team got to the end of 2006, their numbering system had followed on TWR touring cars from overseas. Mm. So that got them through till I think the last VZ was number 54. But then the new VE, that was Walkinshaw Racing Chassis 001. So when the VE came along, kind of a new constructor, it had been Dencar doing the chassis beforehand, then it became Walkinshaw Racing doing them a bit more in-house. So the numbering, and it was a new model, new era, um, new run of numbers that that carries now through into the car of the future cars that Walkinshaw and Andretti are running with Chas Moss that's got a new one this year. They're up to 26. So that, that numbering winds its way right back through to the first VE. So there's a few different scenarios, but mainly the numbers just uh, follow sequence and and tick on from there. So uh, Tim Matheson, not sure if this has been covered by the Sleuth team before. Please forgive the retread if we've driven over this before. (laughs) What happened to the hot pink and black Wolkie Commodores driven by Elf Barbagello and Tim Slaco? Doesn't Tim Slaco's got one of those cars? Mm. He's retained. Well, he didn't retain it. It was sold no, yeah. and has ended up back in his hands in Western Australia. He's still also got his uh, supercar, mm. uh, which very lightly raced supercar. Yeah, not huge race mileage no. on that one. And the other car's gone, isn't it? From that's memory? my understanding. So the car that Tim has now is the one that reappeared in Heritage Touring Cars a few years ago in the hands of Troy Stapleton. Mm-hmm. Uh, at one point, the that car had the log went with the logbook of the other car, the uh, ex Alpha Gallo one. Yeah, okay, yeah, bit of a yeah. swapsies. Yeah, uh huh. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, fifty percent good answer. Yes, uh, or good news on on Tim's reply. But his follow up question is: Pink on race cars, yay or nay? If yay, please cite examples. It's clearly a yay from me. I mean, you look at the podcast we did on Thunderdome 
on the Thunderdome a couple of episodes ago. There's a reason why that picture that was picked was... Yep, the number 91 Hogsbreath Cafe Buick Regal of Walter Giles is one. still stands as one of my favourite colour schemes on any race car. And that's the photo you picked for the, the episode the tile, the, the graphic that goes on our socials and our website. Fluorescent pink with a big splash of white on the bonnet. <laughs> so that's a yes from me. Uh, it's a yes from me too. Uh, it's probably the Slaco cars that stand out the most, but... Um, is it the pink, pink pig? Where is the yeah, Porsche? Yeah. yeah, that's that's hard to go past any time that Porsche. If Porsche embrace a, a pink pig, then you know it can't yeah. be a bad thing. So and and the reason that the um these Walkinshaw cars were that color was so they would stand out. That's well, the whole. That's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. where what nineteen eighty nine or eighty eight eighty nine those cars popped up. So over thirty years ago, and we're still talking about them, and they didn't yep. really win anything. In terms of touring car championship stuff, they they did all right in the, the home track racing stuff in WA, but mm. um, stand out, yeah, definitely did, definitely did. A uh, couple of questions to go. Who are we up to next? We're up to Michael Foley's question. Now, Michael asks, will we see production car racing as the main event one day? No. <laughs> he had more. <laughs> okay, what else has he Mustangs, got? Mustangs, Camaros, Camrys, Challengers, Camrys. Master 6, Sky- Skylines or something similar. No. Yeah, it's no. hard to see that. There's a production car racing exists, and lots of people bang on about it online. That it should be the buy on Sunday, sell on Monday. It should be like road car racing. It does exist. It's yeah. out there. It's a thing. It never stopped. It, no, really? No, it's it's still there. Um, there's an Australian series for it. There's the Bathurst Six Hour at Easter, uh, but it's not going to be the main event. The world's just moved on from proddy cars and that. It's a romanticism between the road and the racetrack. It's back there, way back there in terms of the the romance of it. We're never going to see that be the main event one day. I, I can't see it happening. And whenever it was the big show, it always got out of control. Yeah. <laughs> one of two th- things happened. It got out of control or and or um, everyone converged on one type of car. And I, and I don't think the reason why it won't, wouldn't get out of control again, though, but you wouldn't even get it to the start line, is that the manufacturers aren't there to make it get out of control anymore. No. Manufacturers aren't looking to go car racing with their road cars to prove their wares. Road cars these days, they're all quite good. Yeah, like (laughs) it or lump it, though, they're they're white goods on wheels. You know, that's the way that there's not very many of them that have that standout X factor. When you look at the roads these days, that's just the way it's gone. So, um, Proddy Car Racing is still there, Michael. Support it. Go and watch the Australian Production Car Series, whether it's streaming online or at a racetrack. It's there for you, and there's clearly some people with a with a hunger and a love for proddy car racing. So, um, and the six hours on free to air TV this year. Oh yeah, it's on seven or oh, seven made, I presume. Yeah, seven plus and that sort of thing. So, um, free on the is it the screens or the channels of seven? I can't remember what do they call it now. Can't remember. Oh, I don't know. It yeah. wasn't like that in my day. Anyway. <laughs> they did have a mega wall back then, though. That's... You can plug your VCR in and record it. Don't worry. Oh shit, I'm not that old. Steady on. <laughs> I was around in the DVD hard drive era, not quite VHS back uh, in my channel seven days. Uh, Nicholas Higgins is a good friend of the Sleuth Podcast. Hello to you, Nicholas. Um, where's Andrew Thompson these days? Is his question. Is That's it short question. and sharp to say Queensland? That is short and sharp. It's probably not very detailed. Uh, not <laughs> it's very detailed. Not quite response. what he's looking no. for. Well, I haven't seen Tomo for a little while, but I haven't seen anyone for a little while, but. I do know that he and his wife, Shay, live uh, in Queensland, spent some time in Adelaide Mm. in South Australia uh, for business. Um, Has not involved in racing anymore. Hasn't been for a while. His last supercar start was Bathurst 2013 with Erebus when he co-drove with Tim Slade. 
Um, ended up not driving on the Gold Coast a couple of weeks later, got replaced by David Brabham. Never got to the bottom of what happened there. Mm. I've asked him before um, to do a, a, a where are they now, a bit of a story of where he's at. Um, I think he's been pretty busy with work and the like, but I'd be keen to grab him and get him on the podcast and have a chat because um, there's plenty to discuss with him. But he's been doing a lot with, with business. So, um, yeah, racing's not really been on his radar. He's still good mates with a lot of racing people. He's good mates with Jamie Winkup and yeah. Will Davison and a bunch of those guys. But um, I think his days in, in racing are done. But when guys have got their racing days done, that makes them an even better podcast guest. Yeah. Because they're happy to talk about it more. Yeah. So put on your list. Yep. Tomo can go on your list. <laughs> it's a long list. It is a long list. Uh, what isn't a long list is remaining questions for this podcast because this is the last one. Oh, nice. Yeah, last question from Victor Doe. No one has been able to answer this fully, but what happened to the Jimmy's Fab Shop partially built car of the future chassis for Lucas Dumbrell Motorsports in circa 2015? Did it become one of the first Erebus cars because Jimmy then became a fabricator there? Now, this is a good question. So I had to actually send uh, – so, so Jimmy is James White. James is mm. a, um, a fabby. He worked at Larry Perkins for a fair while. Oh, and I he looks after the chassis for Erebus. He's mm. based in Mount Gambia in South Australia. Um, he put together the chassis that, uh, well, the one that won Bathurst yeah. in 17 with Dave Reynolds and Luke Yulden and nearly won Bathurst the next year with mm. Dave Reynolds and Luke Yulden. So, and Erebus, I think, stopped off at his, at his workshop after the Bend rounds last year. Yeah, I remember seeing bit. somewhere along the line that he quarantined in, in a caravan at his workshop oh, um, so he could be able to be of assistance to the team if they, they needed him in that period last year where obviously everyone was away from home base. Short answer is, yeah, there was a new chassis that was going to become a new car for Lucas Dumbrell's team, but it never got to the point. So uh, one of, I think, 105 or six or whatever up to now, Car of the Future chassis, it was never fully completed as a race car and rolled on a racetrack. Um, I checked with with James about this. So he's used bits from that for repairs for other chassis over time. Um, he does retain it. He does have what's, well, left of it. Mm. Um, but I don't think we're going to see that one ever become a race car at any stage down the track. So... If and when one day we do the car of the future chassis, um, that's going to have a pretty short, short yeah. little <laughs> chapter, uh, but it belongs in the list because it's got a um, it's got a V8 supercar chassis number. So mm. when the cars are being built by all the different teams, supercars inspect them, and at certain points of the build, they get a uh, a number of V8 supercar chassis number in addition to the team's individual chassis number too. So yeah, so Victor, that. The, the leftovers of that are around, and, and James has got them, but uh, I don't think we'll see it um, become anything anytime soon. Indeed. Mm. That's it. Mm. There That's you go. Oh, well, bold. Um, another Q&A is done. Uh, lots of cues. I hope we've provided plenty of, of A's along the way. Um, jump on the website, v8sleuth.com.au. Uh, we're punching out all sorts of stories over the course of upcoming weeks and months. We're on the countdown, of course, to start the Supercars Championship with the Repco Mount Panorama 500. I keep going to say Bathurst 500, but you can't Easy say that because it's yeah. not the Bathurst 500. Correct. It is the Mount Panorama 500. Um, the test coming up, Ipswich, Winton. Uh, I feel like we're getting MOJO back from motor racing. So, yeah. of course, um, with COVID and everything that's been going on, fingers crossed we don't have any more headaches or border issues or, or things like that, but it'll be good to get back to a racetrack soon and catch up with some people that we've uh, not really seen in person for for quite some time. Keep the questions rolling in. We will do another Q&A sometime in the upcoming weeks. Uh, you can send them in via our website. There's a contact us page on v8sleuth.com.au or via socials. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and we're always keeping abreast of what people are sending in. 
we've got to point out too, we simply, we've been getting smashed in Facebook messages in the last few weeks and months. We try to get back to as many as we can. We can't write back to them all. Uh, if we did that, we'd never get any books finished. We'd never get any stats done. And we'd just spend our whole time answering questions. So we hope that we can answer some of them this way via the podcast. Um, but we just can't get to them all. Mm. We, we, we do our best, but we appreciate everybody's uh, interest and, and passion. So episode 92, yeah. done. 93 next week. We're counting towards the big century. I reckon that's worth a cake. Oh, sure. What sort of 99 cake? 99'd be worth a cake. Bugger, we'll get a, 90, we'll get a 93 cake. cake. Based on your number 102, 103 thing, yeah. everything's a celebration from going on. We get a lot of questions about food from some of our followers. From one in particular. Yeah, yeah. Corey's a long time yeah. food questioner. But what cake do you have for your 100th podcast episode? Chocolate? I would think so. Sponge C. cake? C for century, C for chocolate. It's not exactly a birthday. <sighs> podcast birthday? Yeah, not really. No, no. We have it. We do have a podcast birthday. It's in May. Yeah, that's right. Well, maybe we can have another one then. Yeah, that sounds good. I've got to stop being Okay, that's, that's the downside of this. Anyway, we're going to shoot. Uh, keep following us on socials. Keep following us on the website. We've got plenty of news, plenty of stories, and plenty of stuff coming up. And as we let this pod go out into the ether, it's a Wednesday. Let's just give you a little tip here. Thursday, 11th of February. It's coming. It's coming. I'll leave you with that thought. We'll chat to you next week on the pod. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out.